in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Reader Podcast with your host, John Mayetta. I am back. If you like this podcast, subscribe, leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. I want to pick up where I left off last week. I touched on the fact that certain companies, and I think I mentioned Apple, have been sitting on cash. And there was a reason for that. The U.S. had high corporate tax rates, and so what companies would do, particularly post the 09 financial, the 08, 09 financial downturn, is we started to come out of the downturn, and companies started to enjoy revenue acceleration and therefore profit acceleration. They wanted to, to park their capital somewhere where it would have less of a, a, a tax hit. Furthermore, as, as larger companies wanted to expand, hire engineers and so forth across the globe, it's, um, it just makes sense that you would park a certain amount of capital on a, a local balance sheet and then hire out of that division as opposed to moving, uh, moving cash back and forth, uh, intercompany transfers to, to execute hires. So uh, J.P. Morgan did a study. It was published in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. Uh, $2.4 trillion of cash sits on U.S. corporate balance sheets as of the end of the calendar year calendar 17 so that's basically equivalent to 3x the size of apple apple has a 865 billion market cap so you could basically buy apple three times over with a cash on corporate balance sheets and i didn't i didn't listen to the podcast but the journal published a podcast as to why this is a good is a good thing let me tell you why it's a bad thing so things got pretty rough in 08 09 you started to see signs of a a, a crack in the financial armor uh, of the global economy back in 08. There was a credit crunch. And then the credit crunch spiraled into an economic slowdown. And I remember companies that are, let's call, let's call it discretionary spend type companies, consultancies, uh, Accenture and the like, those co- type of companies took the, the biggest hit because again, they're discretionary spend. So I remember some of the smaller IT services firms that I used to follow took revenue hits of, they saw revenues decline 20, 30% year over year. Uh, software companies where it's more of a recurring revenue, many software companies sell software that is truly mission critical or close to mission critical, depending on the company, depending on the product. Uh, a lot of those companies saw revenues go flat. And what companies did during the downturn is they just froze everything in terms of spend, capital investment, hiring. Uh, a number of companies uh, rationalized, you know, they, they shrunk expenses. Uh, you had Obama come into office. He increased taxes. His administration increased taxes. So now you have the double whammy of sort of an economic downturn and then increasing tax rates. So as a result, companies just sort of froze all investment activity. And then as you, as you started to come out of the downturn, uh, cash started to pile up on the balance sheets. And to me, if you're a CEO, CFO in the C-suite, but particular, particularly CEOs and CFOs, managing cash, you need to exercise that muscle just like you would exercise muscle in, in a gym, lifting weights. If, if, you, if you don't uh, maintain some level of frequency and regularity around a workout routine, your muscles atrophy, and the same thing happens with, with executives. And I would argue that a number of these CEOs and CFOs forgot how to deploy cash because they hadn't done it in so long. And that's, it's not just a function of, well, tax rates are high. We wanted to wait out Obama and see what the next president would do before we decided how we wanted to deploy capital. Yeah, that was part of it. Tax repatriation, what would uh, the U.S. government do around a, a one-time repatriation tax, uh, this type of thing. Repatriation is when you bring 
uh, let's say Apple has uh, a unit in Ireland and they have cash on the balance sheet in Ireland, they want to bring that cash back to the U.S., well, they'd get hit with uh, uh, a, a, a repatriation tax. And so many CFOs wanted to be able to quantify in the new president's administration, which turns out to be the Trump administration, they wanted to be able to quantify what would the repatriation hit be before they started to bring cash back over, move cash around, make investments. I get all that. But I think there's more to it than just that. And it's this issue of not having exercised the investment muscle, the capital investment muscle, since really 2007. You know, we've gone a decade without really exercising that muscle. And I, I think a lot of CEOs, CFOs haven't done it in their career. If you think about younger CEOs, CFOs in their 30s and 40s that, that, that weren't in the position to deploy capital pre the 08 downturn, they just they just don't know. So I, I think what you're, what you're going to see is you're going to see uh, a conservative investment cycle, meaning management team is going to wade into the water slowly before they start to deploy any meaningful capital. Particularly now, it's with what's going on with tariffs and trade wars and things like this. What impact is that going to have? It's only going to make management teams get more conservative about deploying capital and making investments. You know, at the front of the year is typically a time of year where management teams don't want to deploy significant amounts of, of capital um, just simply because you don't know what the rest of the year is going to bring. And you don't want to sort of front load your, your budget in, in Q1. But it, it, it's something management teams need to, to, to figure out. Or investors, activist investors are going to help them figure it out. And it may mean we, we see some CEO and CFO turnover because there are a number of investors, institutional investors, activists in particular, that can't stand the fact that companies are hoarding cash. There is a ton of opportunity out there. It has never been cheaper. It has never been less expensive. It has never been easier to develop products. And I'm, I'm speaking now more toward uh, more about technology companies, software products in particular. It's never been easier to, to, to build software applications. If you think about the cloud and you know, Amazon and Microsoft and, and, and Google provide their cloud layer so you can lease servers inexpensively and other related services. And you can just focus on sort of the, the uh, core competency that you have, your competitive differentiator, the application itself, the real IP. And the infrastructure layer, you can leverage those aforementioned companies at, at the infrastructure layer, uh, including uh, uh, cybersecurity in many cases, and, and focus on that which you do best at, at the application layer in, in building applications. And so with software as a service and cloud, which you know, sort of got popularized in, 2000, popularized in 2004 with Salesforce.com uh, and have been around for decades prior with IBM, uh, but with the cloud, it, it's easy to bring new products to market, easy and inexpensive, and you can do it quickly. And deploying capital, it's not just sort of these traditional capital investments that we may have thought about in, in decades past. You know, it's more than just heavy machinery, equipment. You know, in a technology company, a software company, it's not about that stuff at all. It's about people and products. And so I, I think you're going to see not a tidal wave of activity, but you're going to see CEOs get turned over. If they don't start to deploy capital and really start to grow in a more aggressive manner, and yes, that may mean taking margins down, even down margins, operating margins. If, if, if you don't see companies get more aggressive about it, you will see C-suite turnover forced upon the C-suite by activist investors. And by the way, it goes beyond the C-suite. It goes into the board. So board members, if you think you're safe 
you're not. You guys will get turned over too. The activists will nominate a, a new slate and throw you out. In addition to the, the C-suite, in addition to C-suite turnover, board turnover, you should expect to see accelerated M&A activity. You know, some stocks have pulled back. Typically, companies don't like to execute M&A transactions if they feel, hey, we're a target, but our stock's pulled back 20%. I don't want to sell here. I get it, but deals are going to happen. You're going to see an increase in M&A activity, particularly if things start to get a little shaky from a macroeconomic standpoint. You'll see less IPO activity, more M&A activity because it's unsustainable the rate at which companies are hoarding cash. Who are some of the acquirers, you may ask? Well, in tech, for sure, private equity. They'll continue to leverage debt and lever up deals. Um, I think for sure you'll see you know, sort of the big four with Amazon, Google, Apple, Microsoft, even Facebook to a degree with their little tuck-ins. You'll, you'll see uh, M&A activity out of the, the four horsemen. I think you'll see companies like Oracle and SAP continue to roll up the mid-market. I don't know if total transaction volume with those companies will approach levels in years past. I feel like those companies need to do a better job of consumerizing their offerings because we've seen the a consumerization of applications in the enterprise. And those companies, SAP and Oracle in particular, didn't make their bones with consumer technology. They're enterprise software companies, enterprise technology companies. But I think in order to sell their higher-end enterprise wares, they're going to need to uh, pick up the M&A activity as it applies to, frankly, startups that do a better job of selling, building and selling enterprise applications that look like consumer applications, that look like consumer tech. I, I, just, think, I just think that, you know, speaking of underdeveloped muscle, that's a muscle, that's DNA that Oracle and SAP never developed, and they're going to look, have to look to M&A to, to develop that competency. I think other large companies in the tech space, you know, Salesforce just acquired uh, MuleSoft a um, couple of weeks ago. I think you know, I would expect them to continue to, to maintain the pace of M&A. Uh, Adobe is another one that I would expect to, to drive M&A. And then there are other companies that I've talked about in the past that I just... Don't know if they ever will. I just don't know if they, I, I know my, they just don't have the competency, that they have M&A people on staff, but they just don't push hard enough. You know, IBM is an obvious one. The way you get that company back to health is primarily through M&A. Um, I think virtual reality is a space, augmented reality, virtual reality, where you could start to see some activity. Those would be more tuck-in acquisitions, less traditional enterprise software uh, more tuck-in acquisitions of, of technology that could help accelerate uh, revenue growth. I'd expect some of the product design companies to, to roll up the AR, VR space. So it could be companies like Ansys. It could be companies like Adobe. Uh, it could be companies like Autodesk. So a company like Magic Leap, I think the latest valuation I saw for those guys down in Florida was $6 billion. Um, they've deployed... I don't know how many, I, I can't remember if it's 500 million or a, a billion plus at, at this point, uh, maybe a bit more. Um, I want to say it's a, a billion plus, somewhere between one and two billion. But I could see that company going away. You know, they rolled out their software development kit in, in March. And to the extent that starts to get traction, I, I just feel that somebody's going to pick that thing off. And if it's not one of the product design companies, then it will be one of the two platform guys, I believe, uh, that have been the most active in the space. And that would be 
Google, and Facebook. So those are some thoughts I have. Uh, we're wrapping up uh, our first project here at CEO Raider. Uh, we should roll out our new data set uh, first of May, if not a bit sooner. And shortly thereafter, we'll, we'll start with product two, which I may or may not have mentioned. It will be a uh, notes messaging application to compete with companies like Dropbox, to, to compete with companies like Slack. We may not have the breadth of functionality, but we're going to have the depth of functionality. And it's going to be an application that's purpose-built for financial services, so portfolio managers, analysts, M&A executives, you know, PE, VC, as well as for executive recruiters. More to come on that. See you all next time.